Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. My name is Jeffrey Brickman. I'm the pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Nowata and Delaware. And today I'm sitting down with my wife, Sarah Beth Rickman. We've been married for almost 10 years. Uh, we've got three children, four on the way, fourth on the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, we've been doing some adulting lately. Um, as a pastor, uh, I've worked, of course, with several dozen families as they've gone through the final stages of life with dearly departed ones that are now dearly departed. And um, we've noticed that there's a lot of uh, pastoral care needed before things get to that point. We've, uh, we've seen a lot of families get to the point of their beloved one dying and the family not really being ready for that. Um, of course, emotionally, it's, it's very difficult to be prepared for that. But then um, legally, logistically, there are a lot of things that um, can really complicate death um, and make it unnecessarily a nasty process. So um, in particular, I've noted that whenever somebody dies and they don't have a will or a trust in place, then that can result in a lot of acrimony among the family. Everybody's trying to be good to one another, but everybody's very concerned about uh, what's going to happen to the stuff. And um, if that stuff isn't figured out beforehand, then there can be a lot of hurt feelings. There can be a lot of damage caused. So um, I wanted to sit down with Sarah Beth because um, in the last few months, we decided to finally take care of our estate um, because there is nothing saying that, that we have another day. God could take us at any time, and if He did so, that's, that's just fine. We would prefer to stay with our kids and one another, um, but we realized that we could die at any point. So there's a good deal of preparation that needs to get done. We, uh, we sat down with a local lawyer named Todd Cohn, hope he doesn't mind me saying his name. He was really good to work with us. Um, he, he explained a lot of things, and he is a, a legal consult. We are not. We just wanted to sit down and share our experience of going through this process with a legal representative. Um, we are also not financial consultants. Uh, none of this is, is stuff offered in an official capacity. This is just a, a couple's testimonial of what it was like going through this process of establishing what, in our case, we established a will and a trust. Um, so the, the hope for this video is that people can watch this. I know a lot of people are very intimidated by the prospect of going through this process. It does not sound at all um, <laughs> enjoyable to them. And if I'm being honest, it, it wasn't real enjoyable. Um, as much as I love working with my wife, as much as I enjoyed our, our lawyer, uh, there are other things I'd rather do with my day. But um, I did this out of love for my family so that in the event that I died, they're not left holding the bag or going to probate court or trying to figure out uh, what needs to happen with, with our stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to speak pretty transparently about our own finances, and we realize that's a no-no in our culture, that everybody's supposed to stay real secretive about their finances and leave people guessing. Um, but I think a lot of harm gets done by not talking about finances, and uh, I'm not ashamed of how much we have or don't have. I think uh, we're doing quite well, honestly, um, in a worldly sense. 
Uh, we have so much money that I worry about us sometimes in a spiritual sense. But as we'll talk about here, um, the way we designate our funds is meant to benefit uh, the ministry of the church as well as take care of our children uh, when we pass. So I guess before we start talking about the particulars, uh, Sarah Beth, say hey, everybody, I guess. Hi. <laughs> and I, I've kind of wondered as, as I, I don't remember if we've talked about this very much, but as, as we came close to this process and have been going through this process, have you been thinking of any particular scriptures that have helped you get clear about how we should be meditating upon our own death or um, um, how we should be establishing our, our trust? No, not any particular scriptures. Um, I think my main focus has been on um, how can we care for our family but also glorify God and be good stewards um, with whatever we have left. Um, but I, I don't know that there's been any particular scriptures informing that. Yeah, and when you use that word good steward, it's funny, Jesus has one parable called the good steward, where he's actually a terrible steward. And he goes, um, if you haven't ever, I'm going to paraphrase it. I should have thought to have my Bible out. But uh, Jesus tells a story of a man who's a steward. He's like a servant of another man's wealth. And he figured out he's going to get fired. And so he uh, goes to the people who owe his master money, says, how much do you owe? And then he reduces it by like 50% or 30%. And um, the master, whenever he hears about it, instead of being mad at the steward, says, hey, that was a really smart thing to do. And then the, the point Jesus focuses on seems to be that the purpose of worldly wealth is actually relationships and that we should use uh, our money in ways that glorify God and bring us closer to Him and uh, other godly people. Um, it's a weird story. You don't want to <laughs> interpret it in some ways. But Jesus cared very much about what we do with money, um, as I've been meditating on my own mortality, I meditate on uh, the text of Job, man that is born of a woman hath but a short time to live and is full of misery. He cometh up and is cut down as a flower. He fleeth as it were a shadow. Uh, we often feel entitled mm -hmm. to become old and live a long time. And some, a lot of people do get to grow old and live a long time. Other people get hit by a bus or they have a stroke uh, or an aneurysm. Um, there, there are just all kinds of things that can come up that, that you, you may or may not have a chance to prepare for. So, yeah. And how awful would it be for me to get cancer and then be going through cancer and trying to figure out our will and our trust right. and, and medical protocols and stuff. So there's a lot of other theological reflection to do on that, but um, this is a, a highly practical thing as well. And there is an overlap between theology and, and practicality. Uh, but you and I are the same whenever we get thinking on practical things. Scripture is not always at the front of our brains. So let's, let's commit to work on that yeah. uh, in the future. So, um, so, yeah, I preached for many years on the importance of establishing a will and a trust before we actually did it. And um, part of that is because uh, I'm lazy and I'm a procrastinator and a hypocrite. And then part of it is uh, because we didn't have a whole lot of money for a while. And we didn't have children for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got kids and more of them coming. And then we've, we've, we get paid very decent by um, our churches. On top of that, we, we recently got life insurance on like a 20-year policy. So if we die between now and then, each of us is worth a million dollars. 
but you can't have any of that because we've done our trust and that money won't come to you. Um, we needed to make sure that that money went to the right place right. when we die. So, Sarah Beth, in the event that someone dies without a will or a trust, uh, can do, maybe it'd be good to explain to people what happens at that point. Well, I don't know the exact specifics, but I just I know that it has to go uh, to court, and uh, that can be a very expensive process. It can take a lot longer than is ideal. Um, so yeah, it's just it just becomes very convoluted when there's nothing in place, and it requires uh, legal involvement on the back end rather than on the front end. Uh, when it's pretty cut and dry, if you do it on the front end. Yeah, and so specifically families that we've seen go through this process, that there wasn't, a, and usually they don't run around going, there wasn't anything in place, you know, although sometimes they do. But depending on the kind of family, um, there's a probate court that all this enters into. All of your uh, assets and stuff are detailed legally in public for everybody to see. Um, and then there's, there's people will contest that they are owed different things and it can get real nasty, especially mm. in families where families will go to court and fight with each other. They will just straight up steal from the deceased person's house. Uh, usually whoever's nastiest and most aggressive gets it because families don't want to fight. They just want to sweep it under the rug. There's a lot of long-term damage that comes when somebody dies and then the ones who are left. And a lot of families don't think they're like this until they're departed one dies and then all of a sudden the knives come out and you're going where did this come from mm. so everybody would like to think that their family wouldn't be like that however um, it also just adds a level of stress that you don't want to leave to your loved ones like do do you want to leave them to pick up the pieces when you're gone or do you want to have things in place um, so that it can be orderly and peaceful and respectful. Yeah, even if, even if a family gets along so perfectly and they're so gracious with one another, you're still putting them in the position of being psychic, okay? Yeah. What, what, would, what would Nana want us to do with her piano, you yeah. know? Who would she want to have this blanket that we all slept with as kids? Yeah. You know, if, if you don't stipulate these things... <laughs> I, feel, I mean, I think a lot of people don't do it because they don't want to think about those things. But if you don't think about it, you're putting it off for someone else to think about it. And it's just so sad because then they're wondering if they're even honoring you or remembering you the way you'd want to be remembered. Yeah. So it's just a really crummy position to put people in. Um, so, so as Sarah Beth and I approached this, we didn't know much. Like we knew that things needed to be in place so that our our children, our relatives wouldn't be guessing and trying to be psychic and fighting with, I don't think they would fight with each other, <laughs> but now we don't have to know because we've got it all covered. Um, but we didn't even know the difference between a will and a trust. And so, um, and before today, I, I still probably couldn't have told you much. So Sarah Beth and I were talking before this so that we could talk through that a little bit as you're trying to figure out what you want to do for yourself. Um, to be clear, both options there, none of these you can do on your own. You know, there are a lot of people that DIY stuff, but I think you have to go through a lawyer who files all these things for you. Um, and they'll charge different rates in different places. Different practices will charge different amounts. Um, should we share how much Todd? No. Okay. So that's his business, not ours. But um, typically... In, in Oklahoma, I think the going rate for a will is around uh, between 800 and and $1,000. 
Um, a trust, when I called around, it was anywhere from, oh, like, I, I want to say 2000 or 2500 to higher. Yeah. Um, so, there, yeah, there, price-wise, there's a, a big difference. Yeah, it's cheaper to do a will. Yes. And you can get by on just a will. Yeah. But a trust has other benefits as well. So, Sarah Beth, I've been talking a lot more than you. Why don't you okay. lead everybody through what's the difference between a will and a trust? Why would you want to have each? Well, um, a will, this is my amateur understanding. A, um, a will is just a, a document that explains where you want your assets to go, who you want them to go to, whether that's financial assets or uh, actual physical belongings, property, all that kind of stuff. Um, guardianship of your children. Um, so it just details what you want to happen with specific things. Um, when you die, that still has to go through probate court, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can prolong the process. Um, well, and it's still very public, isn't it? Yes, it is on public record. Yeah. So if you're a very private person, you might not want to go that route. Um, a trust, on the other hand, um, you actually, it, it, it becomes a legal entity. I don't know. You, as, as Jeffrey and I are the trustees of our trust at this point, and so we bequeathed all of our assets and belongings to the trust. And uh, so now... And be specific about what all those different things are. Um, financial accounts. Bank accounts. Uh-huh. What about credit card? Were we supposed to do that? No. Okay. Um, property. Investment accounts. Retirement. Investment accounts. Um, yeah, our cars, everything we own. Deeds, yeah. Mm-hmm. So everything now falls under that trust so that... It was mine. It was you. Now it belongs to the Jeffrey, Jeffrey and Sarah, Sarah Rickman Family Trust. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else I should explain? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the things I didn't know that I was curious about before entering this process. So, so, so when we die, when you have a trust and you die, it is stipulated in the trust who becomes the trustee after who, whoever the successor is. Mm -hmm. um, so if I, just I die, you become the I, sole trustee, yeah. vice versa. If both of us die... Then we have someone in place to take that role um, and distribute our our And make sure they know... That you have designated them yes. before you die, so it's not a big surprise. You're the <laughs> yeah. trustee, so. And then we also have a backup. In backup the, trustee, yeah, in case the, they die, or, or don't want to do it. Yeah, I don't know, okay. I don't know. Um, so yeah, then then that's where the the logistics of our um, will and trust come into play. Where you know this this much goes to the church. This much much goes to our children. This property goes here. This blanket goes here. You know that mm -hmm. that's when all that when both of us die. That's when all those particulars need to get figured out, and the trustee, the successor trustee, takes over, and does that. So, and there's a similar position uh, when you have a will. It's called an executor, and they just take care of whatever you've stipulated in your will, but mm -hmm. it has to go through the court process first. Right, right. So the trust. The trust is more expensive on the front end, 
but simpler and cheaper in the long long end. I believe long. so. And then the will is less expensive on the front end, but more convoluted and expensive on the back end. Um, That's my understanding. But having both or either, can you have a trust without a will? I don't know. That, that would be a bit so, weird. So the, the package that Todd offers is not just a trust, but we have... We established a trust. Mm-hmm. We esta- We have a pour over will. P O U R. Um, yeah, it pours over everything. Yeah. Um, we have. He helped us do advance uh, healthcare directive, power of attorney. So there was a whole lot included in yeah. that package, so that so that basically everything is provided for in the event that one of us is incapacitated, one or both of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's better to have a will and or a trust than to have nothing in yes. place. That that's the main thing. So we chose to go with Todd's plan and have pour over wills and a trust, um, so that it's all covered. And then we also went through the uh, power of attorney and medical protocols and stuff. Yeah. So what are the helpful things about the specifics of what we decided to do with our wills and trusts that you would be interested in if you were a person listening to us? Um, I think the the biggest things that we considered were how do we make sure our children are cared for in the event that we both die, both with who's going to actually care for them mm-hmm. if they're underage, and how will they financially be cared for uh, no matter what age they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the main concern of a lot of people Mm -hmm. with this kind of stuff. Um, But we also wanted to um, ensure that we were uh, giving to God uh, when we die. And so uh, we chose to uh, consider how much to give to our, our church. I'm not sure we gave to the I don't remember the... So I remember some of the particulars. So, um, okay, so in the event that you and I were to die tomorrow, um, our trust would contain between $2.3 and $2.4 million. Yeah. Okay. Because we would die and those millions would go in there from life insurance. So at that point, what we stipulated was um, 51% of that lump sum net worth would go to our endowment. So Sarah Beth and I established an endowment. This is a whole other thing that I found very intimidating before we did it, but it was actually much less complicated. Um, there are a lot of different financial institutions that offer and private endowments that can be established in your name. So uh, within the United Methodist Church in Oklahoma, there is uh, an endowment, a foundation that we use, the Oklahoma United Methodist Foundation, and um, they allow you to establish endowments in there where you can have payouts to any nonprofit that is eligible um, in your name. So we already have like $12,000, I think, in ours. 51% of our net worth at the end would just get put into that. And then that the principal never gets paid out, but that is it's invested so that, um, I don't remember if it's just five, I think it's just whatever gets generated by that over any period of time. Some of it gets reinvested, some of it goes to whatever church we're supporting. So right now our endowment benefits both churches that we uh, serve 
um, were we to die. I guess, yeah, if our church was hungry for money, they could just kill us. And then um, both churches would have enough money to get by on uh, for a long time. It'd be, it'd be great for the churches. I hope they keep us alive, though. Um, so the remaining 49%, um, we have a family member, my brother, who is married to a, a lovely woman. They have a secure household. They know what we're about. They're firm Christians like we are. Um, we're very concerned about our children being raised right. So in the event that um, uh, we weren't able to raise our children, we designated my brother um, to raise our children for us. And then 49% of what's left um, after the 51% is put in our endowment, 49% goes to raising our children. So that will be put in what's called an annuity. And an annuity is like an endowment. Um, it, it pays out, I think, just a solid 5 or 6% a year of the principal. Um, so it would be over, it would be like $1.2 million that would get invested in this annuity. So that's like between fifty dollars and $60,000 a year for raising our children. So um, hypothetically, they could just quit and raise our children for us and get enough to make a, a meager living. Um, but if they kept working, then they could keep doing that as well. And then as the children grow up and age out, then it's proportionally divided to each child, that annuity. And so it grows over time and it's adding more money to their lives over time. And so they're just, it'll be enough money to raise them on and it'll be enough money for them to live comfortably afterwards and hopefully not become drug addicts or anything where they're draining that money. So there's what we can control and then there's what we can't. But, uh, We've, I, I feel pretty good about the amounts that we have. We don't want our kids being rich and just sitting on their bottoms, um, but we want them to be comfortable and be able to be educated and be raised in a, a healthy, safe household, and I think we've provided for that. Um, unless the whole financial order caves in, in which case, you know, all bets are off, you know, but we, we can't control that. We just are going to work with the system we've got and, and do our best here. Yeah. Um, so in the event that you and I were to die tomorrow uh, after the funeral, and that's the next thing we got to do, we got to work with the funeral home and figure out what we got to do, uh, set in place with all that. But um, after the funeral and all that, uh, our trustee would assume responsibility for... Even for the funeral, the trustee assumes responsibility okay. for all of those expenses and our debts and whatever. Right, right. And our only debts are credit card payments right now, and those are fine. So, yeah. So we're in good shape. So um, uh, what other details did I leave out or would be important for people to know? About the trust? Yeah, or the will or the process of establishing all this. Oh, yeah, because we did still want to get to medical directives and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's something I just thought of. Uh, our lawyer, you know, just because you've got this in place doesn't mean the relationship is over. Um, he was very clear with us. And I don't know if all lawyers are like this, but he says, you know, if you want to change what's going to who along the line or you want to add more definition or change some of the, uh, you don't have to pay for the whole process being done over again. Um, he gave us a copy of everything he has, and then we just get to update it as we see fit, and he's just the one taking care of our legal documents now. So that was something I really was glad about. I was afraid if you wanted to just change a couple words, you'd be paying a couple grand, but no. <laughs> um, the actual process looked like us going to his office. We met for probably 30 minutes the first time, and uh, he just gave us some homework to do, some things to think about. A lot of it we had already 
considered and thought through and talked about. And so we were able to just tell him what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of it we took home and talked through some more. Um, and then we went back a few weeks later and signed all the documents. And that took probably 15 minutes. I don't know. There was a lot to sign. Um, but yeah, it, it was not a very... Once we had gotten clear between ourselves what we wanted, it was a really cut and dry process. Well, and we, I'm, I'm remembering now, we were able to get a lot of those numbers and figures and, and uh, particulars together because we had a worksheet from the Oklahoma United Methodist Foundation. It wasn't, a, it was a workbook that we went through several dozens of pages where it helped us keep account of all our different things. And But he didn't really use that. Yes, he did. Okay. But even if so, he that. didn't pour through it and go through the particulars. But you know, as as yeah, he used a few of the pages, but it helped okay. us get clear and yeah. do that thinking on the front end. Yes, yes. So um, it definitely wasn't a waste, but it's definitely good. I think not just to let your lawyer do all the work, but to do some thinking and meditation and reflection and hypothesizing beforehand before yes. you deal with the lawyer because it all moves fast. For them, all this legalese, all these processes, I mean, that's the waters they swim in, but not for us, you know, so it's... Um, well, and there were a few instances where he asked a clarifying question and we just looked at each other like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we haven't thought about yeah, that Yeah, we're yet. generally smart like adults. We do a better job at adulting than I think most, but uh, that this the whole legal world is just a very daunting and weird place that's not always intuitive and... Um, so yeah, the, the, the final piece that we worked on that was probably the most intimidating was the end of life stuff, um, yeah. medical directives. So um, yeah, set that up and what, what do you think it's important for people to know when dealing with end of life stuff? Well, I just think it's a very important thing to have in place um, so that should you become incapacitated, your family knows how to care for you. Um, what you would want when you're not able to communicate that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's all personal preference. If you wanna be kept alive forever, as long as possible, that is provided for. If you don't want any- That option is provided that, for. Yeah. That money doesn't come out of nowhere. No, no. Um, and then if you don't want any life-saving measures taken, that's an option too. And then there's everything in between. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's just, a. I don't know. It took some time for me to think through that and mm-hmm. what I thought I was clear. And then I wasn't when I had to actually sit down and find things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. I, I thought I was clear as well and I'm opinionated about so much of this stuff. And yet when it came time, I was, I remember the two issues that were the most challenging for me that you had me do extra reading and research on was organ donation. Do I want my organs to be donated? And then um, uh, do I want to be given artificial nutrition and um, hydration Hydration in the event that there's probably no chance that I'm coming back? Right. Um, yeah, they have this legalese that's like two paragraphs to say, this dude probably is not going to ever come back to life. So um, to, to do research on that, you know, um, I remember the, the first time my world got rocked, it was eight years ago, and I was reading an Atlantic article on quality of life after CPR is done, um, resuscitation 
Mm. And uh, in the majority of cases, once resuscitation is done or intubation, those things, uh, quality of life is significantly decreased after that. Mm. Um, but also, uh, I read another Atlantic article about a lady who chose to um, stop receiving hydration. Uh, she had a, a condition that was just going to be awful, and she just stopped. So she, she reported her experience going through lack of hydration, and it really wasn't bad for her. But then we talked to another guy who had a loved one that they did let pass through lack of hydration, and he said it might not have been bad for them, but it was horrible for the family to watch their body just waste away in that way. And, uh, of course, I don't want that for my family, but surprise, surprise, I said if I'm not coming back, harvest my organs, don't give me nutrition, don't give me water. And I don't see that as giving up. I just see that as, you know, obviously the Lord has claimed me. Give my body to Him. You know, let this thing be over. I don't want it to drag on and, and have my family agonize over, you know, extreme situations where I might come back. You know, if, and then, you know, with the, the funeral as well, if I'm dead, just go ahead and put me in the ground. Don't, don't hold on to me for weeks. Don't, don't embalm my body so that I can be around for weeks, uh, we'll, we'll maybe do another segment on our funeral planning and all that. But, um, you know, those were my decisions. And I watch, um, there's this book that made a big impression on me about how Christians have this Bible that talk about how God is powerful and, and Jesus has conquered death and, and uh, everything can be put in His hands and dying is not a bad thing. Uh, you know, Paul's language is to me, uh, to live is Christ, but to die is still gain, you know? Yeah. Um, but yet, so many Christians don't think about their death, don't plan for their death, and whenever the time comes to die, they are not ready. They're uh, wide-eyed and, and desperate about it, and um, that shouldn't be the case. <laughs> it should be the case that Christians are confident and bold in the face of death, even joyful in the face of death, because Christ goes before us. Um, but even so, whenever it came time to check that box saying, if I'm not coming back, do not feed or hydrate me, uh, was quite a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are theological things about, you know, okay, in the resurrection, am I going to miss my pancreas if it gets donated <laughs> and it's walking around in some 12-year-old body? You know, that's, that, that sounds ridiculous, but when you take the bodily resurrection seriously, it can be prob problematic, and I'm not going to scoff at anyone who who has a problem with that, but I just think, you know, if, if the Lord can reverse decomposition and putrefaction, uh, I think He can get my pancreas back for me. So um, that that's my mundane analysis on that topic. Um, but it wasn't easy to go through, and you didn't make all the same decisions as right. me with end-of-life stuff. Right, I thought we would be on the same page, and then I wasn't ready to be on the same page. So. <laughs> well, and Todd did say we can change our minds on this stuff. It's, oh, yeah. It's not set in stone, but... You know, it is for now, but yeah, it's easy to change. Right, yes. Um, having gone through this whole process, I mean, you can't help but meditate on your mortality. Mm -hmm. Are you glad we did this, or do you... No, I am. Um, I'm very glad. Uh, uh, my, my own family is going... I mean, we have not had a death in the family, but there's been questions about what to do uh, when a family member is ailing. Sure. And uh, and those things were not figured out on the front end. And, um, and so it's made me want to figure those things out, not only with us, but also 
with our parents. Right. You know, we're planning on having that conversation with our parents so that when they do get to that stage of life, we know what they want. We know they how they want to be cared for and where they want to be cared for. Mm-hmm. Um, just so that we can be confident uh, knowing that we're loving them in mm-hmm. the best way we can. Um, I can't even remember what your initial question was. Oh, are you no, glad we went yeah, through the process? Yeah, yeah, I am really glad that we went through the process. It was uncomfortable at times, and I had to think about things that I didn't necessarily want to think about. Um, but I feel, you know, I'm 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 grateful that our children are going to be provided for in the event that some catastrophe happens. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's just peace in knowing that. Well, and long before we even had kids, I remember we would talk about this sometimes, and we were excited about the the notion of an, uh, having a, a an endowment that we could bless churches with, because we've been in churches that worried about money and and uh, were very anxious all the time and talking about closing the doors, and then we've been in churches that that there was good stewardship and uh, good investment practices, and so that even though in the midst of the hard times came, they were able to weather that without being anxious and, and going through that hysterical place. So, And, and there have been times uh, in this church's, well, in our tenure here, where uh, someone has died and has left a, a very generous gift to the church. And it's just such a, uh, a, a blessing. Yeah. Um, you know, not... Not that the church is all about getting and spending money, um, but, you know, we've been been able to glorify God in ways that were not possible before that gift. Well, yeah, when the church is here to be a, a beacon of the kingdom to a hurting world, if we're already hurting financially, how can we minister to a hurting world? You know, when we're called to care for the poor, but we're too poor to do anything for them, that's just a really sad position to be in. So it's wonderful when the church is sitting on resources that can be shared with the poor for God's glory. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't happen if people don't give regularly. But also, you know, I, I think an endowment really is something that a church, all churches should have. If, if there are people that have given their lives and deaths to the work of Christ here on earth, then there should be at least a tithe, I think. 10% of your net worth should go to your church unless... You're not belonging to a church that's doing the work of God, in which case you're not really part of a church. You're part of what, a Christian social club? I don't know. But if, if you're a part of a true church, then that church should be receiving the benefit of you having lived and died in that body. Um, if everybody tithed uh, their will or trust to their church, all of our churches would be doing very well at this point and able to minister to our communities and fill the gaps that are needed but the the fact that uh, our society is is going through what it's going through and churches are not filling the gap is indicative that a lot of people haven't seen the church that way, and I think that's a real tragedy. Um, our churches aren't perfect, but uh, you know the bride of Christ never has been, and so despite our church's imperfection, we're designating fifty one percent of uh, of our net worth to our churches because. Uh, when our lives are called to account, we want it to be shown on paper and legally in all the ways that Christ was the Lord of our life and He took yeah. He took all, you know. And then, you know, I know that some people think you should just give that all to your kids, but 
we don't care about our kids being rich. We just care about them staying alive and being comfortable enough. But And half of, half of our estate is more than enough to financially provide for them. Yeah, it's just when you look at, I mean, when you study all these families that pass all their wealth on to their kids, it doesn't usually have the effect that people think it would or it should. Um, humans don't do well when they don't have to work for what they get. Um, when everything's just handed to them. So a lot of times the most loving thing you can do for your kids is not give them a bunch of stuff, but equip them um, to earn their own stuff and take care of it or really steward the stuff that God entrusts them with whenever they become qualified. So um, any, any other stuff from a faith perspective that you think is important for people to consider when... Something we didn't say explicitly is... But it, the, the inference on the front end was... We look at this as something that like older people would do, but really once you're like an adult and you have assets of any sort, I, I think it's good to go ahead and go through this process. No, I don't have any other thoughts. Okay. That means we either did a good job or we're just really tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's my 37th birthday today and she's been taking care of me and... Uh, well, I'm about he's to go been have some care ice cream. Of me. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is marriage? So, um, anyway, okay. Well, why don't we end with a prayer and then okay. we'll be done. Father, we thank you for entrusting Sarah Beth and me, as well as so many other uh, believers and followers throughout the world, with um, worldly goods. And we know, Lord, that you've entrusted these things to us not for our glory, but for yours, not for our well being, but for the well being of the poor. And we repent of the ways in which the church has been miserly and uh, ungenerous with what you've entrusted to us. And we pray that you would bring up a new generation of great stewards that glorify you, not just with their lips, but in their lives. And um, Lord, glorify yourself in this world. Help Christians to, to minister to the poor, not just with our prayers, but with our pocketbooks. Um, help people who see this video uh, to reflect on it charitably, even if they think it's tacky to talk the specifics of finances, help them to take um, treasures from this and to be a blessing to their families by making these decisions on the front end. Um, may they be a blessing to their church and to the world. And Lord, send your son Jesus in your time. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you made it to the end, God bless you. I know it's, uh, it's not a usual YouTube or Facebook video that people would be watching on uh, legal stuff when you die. But um, it's stuff we wanted to know about, so I hope it's a blessing to somebody else. If, if just one person uh, acts on it instead of sitting down and letting their family deal with it, I will consider this a very good use of our time. Um, so, And if you're somebody in our church, let me speak to you very directly. Please don't put off this stuff. You know, I, I just, I think it's a shame. I'll feel like a bad pastor if, uh, if you die and you haven't gotten these things in place. I just think it's very important. Otherwise, I wouldn't spend time on it. At the least, pray about this, uh, but at the most, please go through this process too if you haven't already. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. Thanks for joining us.